You're listening to the Empty Stringers Podcast, where every week we talk about locating, catching, and the conservation of redfish. My hope is to share with you what I'm seeing from the polling platform so that together we can catch more fish. Think of it as your weekly fishing report. Welcome back to the podcast, folks. I'm your host, Matt Parrish. We got a lot of stuff to get to today. Where do I begin? Here we go. Today we're talking about the full moon and the new moon and its effect on fishing. I got the idea to cover this by a buddy of mine, Raymond Beckley, member of the Salty Yak Pack. He posted the question on the Salty Yak Pack page. Uh, if you are not familiar with Carrie Beeson's Salty Yak uh, Outdoor Podcast, you should go check it out. As a, an accompaniment to the podcast, he has a Facebook page. That Facebook page is a lot of like-minded folks getting together, talking about fishing and hunting and all of that good stuff. So you should check it out. Uh, I've gotten to know a lot of people uh, through that, and uh, they're good They're good people. So Raymond goes on there, and I know that Raymond listens to this podcast as well. And by the way, Raymond has some really good-looking, purebred, AKC-registered lab pups. The parents are AKC-registered, purebred, uh, the full deal. He's got puppies for sale. If you want a lab puppy, he's got some silvers and some chocolates. Email me at emptystringers at gmail.com. S on the end of stringers. Uh, email me or shoot me an Instagram message, empty underscore stringers on Instagram. And uh, I will connect the dots for you to inquire further about a puppy from Raymond. I think my sister uh, still has puppies for sale too. She has French bulldogs. And so I never dreamed that I would be announcing so many puppies for sale on this podcast, but here we go. So if you want a French bulldog or a chocolate lab or silver lab, uh, shoot me an email. I know I got people. I know some folks who can hook you up with that. So uh, let me know. As you can hear, the ragweed is still uh, flush in the air. It's still out there. It's got me all worked up. I appreciate all of you that sent in the remedies that have helped you. I I appreciate that. I've tried a little bit of everything and my goal now is just to wait the clock out and hope that, you know, by the end of this month or sometime around the middle of November that this gets better. That's what happens usually every year. So so I'm not too worried about it. Uh, I want to recap a couple of trips before we get into the full moon, new moon stuff. So I took my buddy Paul Randall out uh, on Thursday and he had a friend with him, Drew Day. Uh, Paul historically has been like, uh, you know, carrying a, a, a bouquet of bananas on your boat. But, you know, uh, he showed up with Drew, and Drew was like just salt of the earth, good dude. He just had a really easy nature about him. I could tell that we were going to have fun no matter what 
happened. And that's the way Paul is too. Like you kind of just, you're not going to go have a bad day on the water with Paul, whether you catch fish or not. And uh, the goal of the day was, you know, 95% fly fishing. We're going to throw the whippy sticks at him. So we get out there early and I, it was my first time out since that cold front had dumped a little bit of water. Water got relatively low and then it kind of started to come back up. So I wasn't really sure what was going to happen. We'll get back in the marsh. There are zero uh, snowy egrets. I'm talking about zero snowy egrets in uh, three of the marshes that I checked that day. So that had kind of been my easy button go-to was follow the egrets, fish close to the egrets and the other shorebirds. But if there are no shorebirds, you got to improvise a little bit. So we did have some goals over some trout uh, near the intercoastal. And we stopped there and Paul and Drew doubled up on trout, one on the fly, one on conventional. Uh, The only other fish that was caught on conventional tackle that day was a flounder. But we proceeded to uh, hit some, randomly enough, we hit several areas that had sandy bottoms. And we slayed them. The reason we went for sandy bottoms is because I was looking for areas that were close to places I knew shrimp, uh, there was shrimp hanging out. And I picked the sandy bottoms near those areas because I was trying to find water clarity so that we could actually see the fish and sight cast to them. And that's what we found. We just got lucky and ran across some, some small fish early and caught three or four on the fly uh, before we moved. And when we moved, we set out for a really long pole. Uh, the route I took is a pretty long one, but it uh, it takes us through quite a bit of uh, clear water, a little bit of grass, uh, some sand. And it's in an area that is one of those, it's it's kind of ties in with what I talked about last week. A spot is not a spot unless you're there at the right time. If you just show, if you go, oh, so-and-so slayed it at this spot last week, and you show up and the tide is a foot higher or a foot lower, you, you're screwed up. You're going to be looking in the wrong place for the fish. This is one of those areas, pretty much all areas are like that anyway, but uh, there are some spots and some back marshes that a foot tide swing isn't going to move the fish. This type of area that we were in is not that kind of area. You have to know that the tide, if the tide is outgoing and it's at a certain water level, that the fish are going to be in a certain spot. And you only know that by being on the water, being on the water and trying it out and taking very good mental notes uh, and kind of documenting your, your trip, whether in your head or on paper or in a podcast. And so because I know the area and I knew what the fish were doing at a, at the certain tide that we were at. I felt like we were going to see some fish. I didn't know if we were going to catch them or not. We absolutely slayed the fish. We ended the day with 13 redfish, three flounder, and five trout. Only fish caught on conventional tackle 
was a one trout and one flounder. The other flounder, we had a, a slam. Oh, we had a, a black drum, a puppy drum. It really wasn't a puppy drum. He's a little too big to be called a puppy, but we had a black drum caught on the fly as well. And so Texas Super Slam on the fly, and then lots more redfish. Paul and Drew were trading spots on the bow of the boat every 20 minutes at one point just because we were we were in the fish. So we had an absolute blast. And so I had a customer out the next day. Conventional tackle, Mr. Uh, Russell Stevenson. Uh, he was a, you could tell he's done plenty of fishing. The guy could throw a lure a mile. He, uh, he had, uh, some good accuracy. We chased schools again, no egrets in the marsh. I'm going to see if that's changing tomorrow when I go out, but there were no egrets in the marsh. Again, get back in the back. And I just dumb luck said, look, I know where there's shrimp because I've been kind of uh, scoping out several different areas and I'm going to go back to a spot that I know there's been shrimp and hope that we find fish. And we did. We found a school, chased that school, caught two fish off of it, and then uh, picked up and went to the other side uh, of this marsh and caught um, a few more fish on other schools. And then it was on to uh, a different area to find clearer water to do some sight casting. And we found some fish to sight cast, but only caught one of them. And that was because, well, maybe we caught two. We had a school coming out of a back lake that uh, was in some clear water. We got a really good look at them. Uh, Russell made a good cast and hooked up there. But we had a couple of them in some really small, tight, little creek drains, little straw drains that uh, were, I mean, they were way back in the back in in these little old creeks. And uh, we spooked two of them out because they came around the corner and they were on the boat. I mean, they were like about to crawl up into the boat. and uh, And we missed them. So... Uh, ended up catching, I don't know, five or six redfish and had shots at plenty more, uh, that just didn't, didn't take, or we didn't get a good look at. So all in all, it was good. Uh, water level has pumped back up. Water temperature has kind of come up a little bit because we've had some really warm afternoons as of late. That is going to change, I believe this weekend, you know, right before Halloween, So, I'm seeing northeast wind in that front that's coming. Obviously, it's too early to tell for sure it's going to change. So, not really sure what what that front is going to do to the water level. A northeast wind won't drop it very much. It will turn the fishing on and be really good. uh, But a northwest is what we need to drop that water out. So, not sure what's going to happen yet. That's a wait-and-see scenario. Going back out in the morning for the next two days. And uh, water level is going to be a lot higher, but we've got decent tide movement. We've just got some wind and a little bit of rain in the forecast to deal with. And so we're just going to, you know, go see what kind of trouble we can get into. Uh, Here's a side note. I don't normally do this, but uh, I feel like it's worth doing. 
So Lithium Pro is the brand of batteries that I have for my trolling motor. I have two 12-volt Lithium Pro. They're like 100 amp hour or whatever. I had one go bad. It will not hold a load or a charge. It just drops out. It's got something wrong with it. So first I call Lithium Pro, their headquarters in Tennessee. I talked to a lady named Jen. Jen, uh, it was late in the afternoon. It was like 4, 4.30. Jen uh, takes down my information, promises to call me back the next day, and we would get it all resolved. She was going to do some looking into it. Never heard from Jen again. I waited about a week because I got busy doing other stuff. And then I sent an email on their site, just their uh, contact us button, and waited another week, a week and a half to hear back from them on that. Never heard back. So then I called the corporate office again, and I got a hold of a guy named Lance. Lance took down all my information. He sounded very knowledgeable. He told me what warranty existed on the battery. And then he said, uh, he can't help me, that I needed to email a guy named Brad. And he gave me Brad's email address. So right then when I get off the phone with him, I email Brad. Well, four days go by with no response from Brad. And I don't know about you, but I don't ever go four days without responding to an email. And my inbox is pretty busy. So I emailed Brad back and I said, hey man, I don't know if you're out of the office or what, but I've been without a trolling motor for a month because of this battery issue and no one will call me back. No one will email me back. I just need some help here. And uh, he says, finally answers me back and says, hey, uh, I can send you a box and you can ship that battery back to us, but we don't have any of those in stock. And best we can do is try to fix it. And that's going to take a really long time. So I said, cool, send me the box. So uh, those two batteries have now become my backup batteries because I don't know when I'm going to get that battery back. I don't even have the box yet. He's told me he's going to send me a box four days ago. I don't even have the box yet. So I'm not going to buy a lithium pro battery ever again. I'm probably going to go to the bigger name, the Dakotas, just to try to get a better customer service experience. I think I'm going to get a 24 volt, one 24 volt instead of two 12s, uh, because I think that that is a, uh, better route to go. So that's the plan. I just wanted to put that out there in case you're shopping for lithium batteries. I would probably not go with the lithium pro. I would check, check around for someone who's got a lot better customer service. So, um, on to the moon, the full moon and new moon uh, discussion. Everybody has a notion about this uh, type of thing. Everybody thinks they know what uh, what it does, how it affects things. What they 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 think you either have lights out fishing or you get skunked on every full moon, all that kind of stuff. I am not, I'm not here to say, well, this is how it is. This is what I want to do with this episode. I want to lay out some facts, okay? 
and I can't help myself. I'll probably put a, inject a little bit of my own opinion, but but my goal here is to stay as neutral as possible with this whole thing. Okay, so here we go. First of all, why does the moon get full, and why does it uh, become a new moon or a dark moon? Right, the moon rotates around the earth and the earth rotates around the sun right and the earth spin the earth spins on its axis and the moon spins on its axis uh this can get really complicated really quickly and so i am going to try to keep it as basic as possible we have a full moon when the moon is lined up with our equator and the the earth is between the moon and the sun, okay? So that it's getting full light. Don't don't ask me how that works. If you look at it on a diagram, you would think, oh, it would be dark then too, but it's not. If it's on the other side of the earth and the earth is between the moon and the sun, you have a full moon when it's lined up on the equator. When it's lined up on the other equator and the moon is between the sun and the earth, you have a new moon or a dark moon. So at both of those times, you're going to have an elevated tide because the sun or the solar tide has an effect on the uh, on the on the tide pull, the gra- gravitational pull as well. So when your moon is lined up with your uh, your solar you're going to end up with a stronger tide pool. The that's when you that what what is called the spring tide happens, right? It's at the new moon, it's at the full moon. You get a neap tide when it's at the first quarter or the third quarter um because it is in it, it is at the least amount of gravitational pull uh on those on those spots. So when you have a full moon and a new moon, you're going to have a stronger tide pool. Now, it does vary in tide pool because of the distance of the moon to the earth. So we talked about uh, a couple of podcasts ago, the perigee. It's the moon's closest point to the earth when it is closest to the earth, somewhere around 225,000 miles. Uh, That does not line up with the full moon all that Often it's six to eight times a year, but it can still be close. Um, and oftentimes it is closer to the earth than uh, when it's on that equator line. And so if it's really close and, you know, you're going to get your solar and, and lunar gravitational pulls uh, team up and you're going to get a better tide, which means better water movement. We have a semi, uh, we have a diurnal tide usually around that time. Um, most all of the East Coast has a semi diurnal where they get two highs and two lows a day. We have a mixed bag. We get a high and a low a day, which is a diurnal tide. And then some types, sometimes of year and sometimes of the moon phase, we get a semi diurnal where we have two highs and two lows. And when that happens, you'll notice that the uh, the secondary highs and lows are pretty weak tide movements. And so not to dive off down too much of a rabbit hole here, but back to the full moon and the new moon. 
So let's just talk about some logical things that we can take away from this scenario. If we're thinking about how that is going to affect the fishing, let's look at it from a logical lens. The first fact or first thing I want to mention just by reason is there is this myth that if you have a full moon, the fish are going to feed all night because of the light that the full moon is going to reflect down. That is not true. It's just not true. If if light were a factor, then the fish would bite horribly at night and they would bite really well during the daytime, right? So that's not a thing. What is a thing is that you have the moon uh you have the moon set and uh you have the moon underfoot, okay? Those two things is what all of the fish apps that you look at, they determine their fish activity, the green spikes in the graph that you're looking at on that. Fish activity is uh, is projected based on the uh, moon set and the moon underfoot. So when you have a full moon, uh, your major is going to be in the middle of the night. It's going to be from, you know, this one coming up, our our full moon coming up here in a couple of days is 1123 uh, a.m. Uh, to 1:23 p.m. That's in the middle of the day. You also have it the night before, so the night of the full moon is going to be uh, like 1144 to, uh, you know, 140 something, Okay. So it's going to be in the middle of the night, right around midnight, It's and then in the middle of the day. That's when your majors are going to happen, okay? So it, it makes sense that the fish are going to feed in the middle of the night based off of the lunar cycle and the moon being underfoot. But they're also going to feed in the middle of the day because you have your major cycle come back around. And then you have your minor cycle. Minor cycle is based on when the moon is setting, the moon set during a full moon happens right at daylight. It's the first hour of daylight. It's the last hour of daylight. So if I am just going off of pure reason, I've got the strongest uh, tide flow I'm going to have all month for the most part. So water's going to be moving. I've got the moon uh, setting and fish activity going nuts right as the sun's coming up, then again in the middle of the day, and then again as the sun goes down. That, to me, sounds like a pretty perfect um, fishing day. Okay? Now, let's hit the pause button, and I want you, if you have a fishing app that you look at, I want you to go to it, find the full moon. I think the next full moon for us is like Saturday. Okay? So you're listening to this on a Thursday. Uh, this coming Saturday, I think, is the full moon. Look at the the two days before, the day before, the day after, the day after that. It doesn't change that much. Your majors, your minors, your tide flows, the distance of the moon to the earth, it all has small amounts of change, which would indicate that if the fishing is terrible, On the day of the full moon, it should also be terrible the two days leading up to it and the two days after it, which means 
let's just say that kills four days, okay? Four days a month, uh, the fishing would be terrible. But, oh, wait, we have a new moon. The new moon acts exactly the same as the uh, the full moon does. So you sh- you would have four bad days of fishing there. So you'd have eight bad days of fishing a month. Uh, and I'm just here to tell you that if if you have eight bad fishing days a month, it is likely going to be when the moon is on the neap tide and you have a weak tide flow and uh, your uh, fish activity is is in parts of the day that normally don't bode well for anglers. Like you're three o'clock in the afternoon or you're 10 o'clock in the morning. Don't get me wrong. I'm not bashing those times. I've caught tons of fish at those times. I'm just trying to approach this from a factual, common sense approach that the full moon has uh, everything that you would need to have a successful day on the water. Now, I'm going to talk from my own personal experience, okay? Um, First off, before I get into my own personal experience, the moon is... I've never uh I've never been suspicious of the moon, but if you start looking into the moon, it is quite a strange character. It orbits uh around uh around the earth and its its own uh spinning, its own orbit is uh that's not the right word for it, but you know what I'm talking about. It's spinning on its own axis, right? As it's rotating. But it spins at the same rate of its orbit around the Earth so that we only ever see one side of the moon. Uh, that's why you've you've heard, uh, you know, the song Dark Side of the Moon, right? Like the, the far side of the moon. That's a thing because we don't ever get to see the other side of the moon. That's highly suspicious. I I don't even know. I don't know what to do about that. Also, the moon wobbles and and uh, wiggles and tilts and speed like just doesn't seem to to be exact in its track. And, and here's what I mean by that: if you go to the NASA website and you look at the moon's uh, rotation around the uh, around the Earth, it's going to tell you that it's on a 27.3 day cycle. Well, because you have some months where it says, look, the full moon is, uh, you know, the the full moon is going to last. It's going to be on Saturday and it's going to be 99.9% on Sunday or whatever. Uh, And then, so go to Saturday, right? That's when the full moon is going to be. And then look at it. It says like 31 days till the next full moon. Well, why why is it 31 days till the next full moon if the moon is on a 27-day cycle? I don't have an answer for that. That's for free. You you can go figure that out and tell me. Shoot me an email and let me know. I dug as far into the weeds into this as I could and and try to make it make sense through uh, an audio rendition of all of this information. Uh, You can go to NASA's website. And it has a lot of information. I pulled a lot of this information and and did some research to help me uh, 
digest this in a way that I could then uh, retell it. Also, uh, Terrell McGuire sent me a picture of a tide chart that he found when he was in South Carolina. Those boys over there get these huge six-foot tide swings, and they have a semi-diurnal tide, which means they get two of those a day. That is nuts. Our whole, we have entire, everything, everything north of the ICW in the Galveston area would go dry twice a day if that happened. Think about that. That is bonkers. I can't even fathom it. So uh, it's pretty cool, but I'm kind of glad we don't deal with that. So, so on to my personal experience with fishing the full moon or the new moon, which I have done a lot, okay? I have fished a lot of full moons, new moons, and the day before, the day after kind of thing. I have never been skunked on a full moon. I have never been skunked on a new moon. I have found that if I'm going to try to pattern those days, because I do pay more attention to those days, it follows the lunar fish activity cycle pretty dang closely. You have a strong bite at daylight for the first hour or two. If you're fishing for redfish, you know it's not quite an hour and then shuts off. It usually lasts a little longer. And then they pick back up in the middle of the day. And I don't hardly ever fish in afternoon, so I can't really speak to that. But I know that the morning is hot, usually. And then it kind of quiets down and goes goes dead, and then it picks back up around lunchtime. I feel like that's a fairly true statement for every time that I've been out fishing for on a full moon or a uh, a new moon. So I would say that your best bet in trying to figure out if it's worth going fishing or not is first of all go fishing it's always worth going fishing if you don't catch anything you're going to learn something and that's uh the type of folks that are listening to this podcast that's what we're about right we want to learn something when we're out on the water if we didn't catch fish we want to try to figure out why and i would urge you to stop blaming the full moon because the full moon, I've caught a lot, I've had some of my best days on the water uh, at a full moon. And I've had some days where I struggled. I don't quite understand it, but I would blame the tide movement above all else. I have found this is not, this is also not scientific data I'm about to sling at you. This is my own personal opinion. When the water's moving, the fish are biting. If they're not biting for you, then you're in the wrong place. You're looking for the wrong things. But if if the water is moving, coming in or out, and you have a game plan based on where the bait in this time of year, the shrimp, where they are, what the water level is for the area you're going to fish. Is it flooding the back ponds and the little back creeks and up into the, the cow pastures? Well, that that could affect your fishing. It may not if you're in the middle of a heavy shrimp hatch. Those fish are going to stay where the the shrimp are, and the shrimp tend to to stick around certain shorelines and islands. Now, if we were talking in June, I would say, yep, 
Uh, if we had a crazy high tide in June, I'd say you better get back into the farthest little back puddle you can find into the back cow pasture you can find, and you're going to find the high concentration of redfish there. But redfish love ground that was dry in recent history. <laughs> they, if, if a place went dry and then fills back up with water on a tide, you're probably going to find redfish there because they like to root around in the dirt and pick off the little dead crustaceans and crabs and insects and whatever is uh, got left there and dried out, okay? So it's always a good thing to go look for redfish in an ultra shallow pond that filled up on a high tide. It just works, okay? Uh, it's w- something I do on a regular basis. So that's what we know about the full moon and the new moon. Uh, it happens on the equator. Uh, you're looking at the, every time you pull up your, your fishing app and you look at the lunar cycle, look at how far away the moon is. And if it's in the 225 to 230, we'll say 235 range, look at your tide and you'll see a little sharper, a, a little better tide movement, a more defined tide movement. If you find that your moon is on the first or third quarter and the uh, the moon is like up in the 240 to 250 thousand mile range away from the earth, your tide is going to just not be good. It's going to be, it's going to have the soft curves. It's going to be uh, slow moving. You're going to have a shorter range from your high and your low. Those are the days that I'm like, I would rather not fish those days. If I, if I have a customer coming out, I am sweating bullets over a, you know, third quarter moon with low wind and no, barely any tidal movement. That's a day, that's a recipe for disaster for me. And I am trying to set that customer's expectations to, uh, to say, look, we're going to do our best, but we may not catch very many fish. If I've got a lot of tide movement, moons close to the earth, uh, it's we're near or at the full moon or the new moon, and you know things are popping off just right. I'm I'm game for that. That's easy, you know. So that's the way I look at it. Everybody has their own way of looking at it. I'm just trying to present you with the facts. So uh, there you have it. I have a story to tell you um, around this whole topic, and you might not realize uh, how this relates, but hopefully you will by the end of it. So I had a, a best friend growing up. His name was Aaron Eaton. The guy was a heck of an angler. He's uh, he's probably still a heck of an angler. We lost touch through the years, but uh, we did a ton of fishing. He would come up to my grandparents' place and stay, uh, you know, like a week with me up there. And we would run through the woods and we would hunt, we would fish, we would ride four wheelers and horses and all that kind of stuff. Right. Well, when my parents let me invite him, they also would let my sister invite one of her friends. And so she invited a, uh, a young lady named Lindsay Brown, who is now a realtor, uh, in the, uh, Baytown, Texas area and beyond, I'm sure. But we're all up at the cabin, right? Girls are going to stay in the cabin that night. And me and Aaron are staying in a somewhat dilapidated travel trailer that belonged to our neighbor back home. And I don't even know why we had it. 
Maybe we bought it from him. I'm not sure I was a kid, right? I was probably, I was probably 12. And so Aaron and I are staying in the travel trailer and bed, you know, lights out was supposed to be somewhere around 930 that night, 930, 10, something like that. It was a weekend. And as soon as it's lights out time, we're laying there and we're trying to figure out, you know, we're not sleepy. We're trying to figure out what kind of uh, trouble we can get into. And we think it'd be a good idea to sneak outside of the trailer and scare the girls. And, uh, and so we get out of the trailer and we're knocking on their window and we're tapping and we're making noises trying to scare them. Right. Well, that caught their attention and they started paying more attention to the window, but we never came out. Uh, they, they never came out to see what's going on. They, they kind of just let it lie and we forgot all about it. We moved on to the next thing and that was truth or dare. So Aaron, uh, dares me to streak butt naked with nothing but my tennis shoes on out to the road. Now the cabin that we had and the travel trailer sitting next to the cabin was probably, it was at least 70 yards. I'm going to say from the road where we were sitting somewhere between 50 to 70 yards. All right. And so we we uh, negotiated back and forth, and I'm trying to negotiate for like maybe an underwear streaking, and he's not having. He's like, "No, it ain't you. It's butt naked or bust. Like, you either do this or you don't." And uh, I'm like, "All right, cool. So I'm gonna do it." And um, and so I stripped down, uh, butt naked. Well, I stripped down to my underwear and and my tennis shoes. And then I stepped outside of the trailer and pulled my underwear down and opened the door to the trailer and threw my underwear inside and took off running to the road as fast as I can. Don't ask why this makes sense. It doesn't make sense. 12-year-olds don't have any sense in their head, okay? So I'm running butt naked to the road, nothing but my uh, Nikes on, and I get to the road. We had a gravel driveway on that side of the yard that led out to the road. And when I when I touched the road with my foot, I was still on some of the gravel. And when I turned, I slipped and busted my rear end, butt naked. And now I got gravel road rash all down my hip and my rear end and all that. I get back up, take off running back to the to the trailer. I get to the trailer out of breath reach for the door to rip it open and it is locked trailers locked Aaron Aaron Eden has locked me out of the trailer and so because I'm in a little bit of a panic mode um, I start banging on the door of the trailer yelling for him to let me in well the girls heard the banging and tapping thought that we were banging and tapping on their window so they're both uh peeking through the blinds of the window watching my naked rear end bang on this trailer door and uh and Aaron I can hear his laughter from inside the trailer he's just he's absolutely lost all control of his of his uh demeanor he is laughing uh as hard as as a human could possibly laugh and I'm just stuck out there and uh, finally, I realized I just, it's doing me no good to stand there and bang. I'm just drawing attention to myself. So 
I just uh, walked around the side of the trailer where the girls couldn't see me and stood there butt naked and and waited to hear the click of the door unlocked. And I finally did. I heard him click that door and unlock it. And I ran around there and opened the door, got inside, put my underwear back on, and proceeded to put him in a headlock and beat the tar out of him because uh, because that's what he deserved. So uh, the, the reason I told that story is because there was a full moon that night. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Um, I want to thank... Uh, Carrie Beeson for letting me broach this topic on the podcast. Uh, I reached out to him. You know, the Raymond uh, Beckley, and he asked a question on the Salty Yak Pack page, and so I didn't want to just go rogue and do my own podcast on it without touching base with Carrie because that's his community that he built, and uh, I thought maybe he would do a podcast on it. But uh, he assured me that his next couple of podcasts are going to be on bow hunting and. You should go check that out. Hunting season is getting fired up, and he is all over it. So go check that out. I want to thank Terrell McGuire for sending me uh, title graph aids and a picture that he found in South Carolina when he was down there that helped explain all this. I got all the rest of my information from the NASA website and uh, the book that I had to learn and read when I was getting my captain's license, and I cannot remember the name of it. But um, yeah, those are where my sources come from. You can pretty much go to the NASA site and and understand most all of it. So let's get to our Bible tidbit of the week. Have you guys ever heard the phrase, I'm sure you have, uh, the writing on the wall? That phrase comes from the Bible. It comes from Daniel chapter 5. I'm going to kind of explain to you what happened um, as quickly as possible. Uh, because this can just get longer and longer uh, the more detail I try to give. But uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, uh, they captured and conquered Israel and brought in exiles from the land of Israel. Some of the people of Israel got exiled and got captured and brought into Babylon, and some went north into Egypt, but God's wrath fell on both groups of those people. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar um, had quite the story uh, to his life, but he ends up dying. Uh, and his son, Belt, I can't even say his name, Belt Shazar, something like that, takes his place. Well, uh, we're going to call him King B. King B throws a party for all of his wives and concubines and, and friends and everything. And in that party, he decides hey, uh, wouldn't it be cool if we had the servants bring out all of the gold dishes and cups that we stole from uh, the temple of the Israelites, God's temple. Wouldn't it be cool if we brought those out and drank our wine from those? Uh, They're gold. They're beautiful. Like, let's see them. We haven't seen them in a while. Let's bring them out. So, brings them out. These were uh, special uh, cups and, and golden things that came from the temple in Jerusalem, okay, where God's uh, spirit dwelled, his essence dwelled among the Israelites. So not a good idea to to mess around with those things, but he did. And as they're drinking wine from these uh, cups and goblets and eating on these plates and all this stuff, right? Uh, a hand, human hand, that is not attached to a human body, just a hand, uh, crawls up the wall and writes 
with whatever writing utensil it had, I can't remember, writes something on the wall. Everyone sees this. The king sees it. He's super troubled by it. His color changes in his face. His heart trembles within him. He says, call every magician, every fortune teller, everyone I have in the kingdom that might be able to interpret this, uh, these words because they were not written in his language. I need to know what it says. Calls everybody in. They can't read the words. One of his wives says, hey, what about Daniel? Daniel is an exile from Judah, uh, and he will be able to read it. So they call Daniel. Daniel comes in. The king says, look, I'll give you all of these gifts if you'll just read what this hand wrote on the wall. And Daniel says, you can keep your gifts. I don't need any of that, but nevertheless, I will read the writing. And he says, God has numbered, I'm, I'm paraphrasing this, I don't have it in front of me, okay, so I may not get it perfectly right, but the writing said, uh, God has numbered uh, the days of your kingdom, and you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting, and your kingdom will come to an end and be given away, uh, be split in two and given away, something like that. That very night, King B dies, and his kingdom is split, and Darius uh, is a Mede. They're Persians and the Medes are how the kingdom splits. Half of it goes to the Persians, half of it goes to the Medes. And King Darius is a Mede and he takes the throne. And his good favor toward Nehemiah allows for the rebuilding of the wall in Jerusalem. So that's the story. That's where the phrase handwriting on the wall or read the writing on the wall. That's where it comes from. Daniel chapter five. Check it out. If you Want to book a trip with me? CappedMattParish.com. I've got some November dates open. Uh, reach out to me through email, EmptyStringers at Gmail. Uh, Instagram, Empty underscore Stringers at Instagram. Uh, and that's about it. I hope you guys get out and catch some fish. I hope that if you see a full moon or a new moon in the forecast, you just go fishing anyway. All right? And if you skunk out, don't blame it on the moon. Um, blame it on your fishing buddy. Um, take Paul with you on the new moon. That way he can be your, uh, he can be your banana on boat. So, uh, I'm just messing with you, Paul. Hope you guys have a good week. I appreciate you listening. Thank you for moving over to the Redfish Network. I hope that you're enjoying Drew's podcast, the Paddler's Playbook as well. And, uh, I appreciate you guys. Y'all have a good week and we'll talk to you next time.